You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Wilder Mutop. And I'm Lucinda Larnock. This is the WFHB Local News 4, Thursday, October 28th, 2021. Later in the program, WFHB News speaks with City Councilman Matt Flaherty about the passage of the 2022 City Budget during last night's Common Council meeting. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, we provide a rundown of all the latest news on the state level. That's coming up in the next... That's coming up next during your State House Roundup. WFHB, this is the State House Roundup for Thursday, October 28, 2021. The state of Indiana will start to administer the COVID-19 vaccine for children under 12 years old as early as next week. According to a press release from the Indiana State Department of Health, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention are expected to announce a decision on administering vaccine to children from ages 5 to 11 in the coming days. State Health Commissioner Dr. Christina Box commented, Quote, we are working to ensure that every county has access to COVID-19 vaccines for children once they are approved. End quote. State health officials say that more than 1,300 vaccine sites around the state are ready for that age group. Upon approval, you can visit ourshot.in.gov to see an updated map of vaccine clinics that offer shots to children under 12. Governor Eric Holcomb has asked that the Indiana Supreme Court review a lawsuit he lost against the Indiana General Assembly over a law that gives the state legislature more authority during a public health emergency. House Enrolled Act 1123 allows the Indiana General Assembly to convene for a special session if the governor declares an emergency. It also regulates how the state spends federal stimulus money. After its passage, Governor Holcomb vetoed this legislation. Then, lawmakers overrode the governor's veto. This led to Holcomb's lawsuit against the General Assembly, which he lost. In a prepared statement on Friday, the governor said, quote, This lawsuit is about making sure that the state government operates the way our constitution outlines. Our state and its people deserve clarity and finality on this important issue, which is why I am filing an appeal today. Attorney General Todd Rokita will represent the General Assembly in the appeal and has criticised the governor's lawsuit. The Attorney General's office was printed in the Indy Star saying, quote, he got his answer. Turns out he didn't like the answer. So now the taxpayers have to continue to be on the hook for his lawsuit. As cold weather approaches, the Indiana Family and Social Services Administration asks Indiana residents to consider donating clothing and infant supplies to Afghan evacuees temporarily housed at Camp Atterbury in Johnson County. Thousands of evacuees remained housed at Camp Atterbury, 
including many families who escaped Afghanistan. With cold weather approaching in Indiana, new coats and warm clothes, along with baby and hygiene items, are in critical need according to a press release. More than 40% of the population at Camp Atterbury is under the age of 14. New items are accepted from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at 9 National Guard armories across the state, none of which are in Bloomington. However, any organization or business seeking to make a large donation and cannot deliver to a designated site should contact the Indiana Department of Homeland Security at privatesector at dhs.in.gov. That's all for the State House Roundup. For WFHB News, I'm Wilder Mouton. the Bloomington City Council special session on October 27th, the budget passed unanimously. The negotiations were intense at the last meeting on October 13th, with several council members saying that they would vote no on the budget unless certain changes were made by the mayor. Mayor John Hamilton spoke about the changes that were made to address council members' concerns regarding police salary and climate action. Sarah. Two issues that have persisted a bit, um, one relating to public safety, particularly police, and another uh, in the field of climate-related investments, including staff position. Now, let me just very briefly address each of those uh, regarding public safety. First, I want to put it in context quickly. The Since I've been mayor, uh, particularly since 2016, uh, with investments beginning with public safety, local income tax uh, that we, we added have brought us to be the only city in Indiana that has a CALEA accredited police department and an ISO ranked fire department. Um, we are the only city with the excellence of both of those in one place and our overall crime rate continues to go down and fire saves and the call responses show why we earned that top ranking. But we're never done and the 2022 budget does have major new investments uh, in this very basic service of public safety, especially the police department, which we know is under stress. 16 and a half new positions, unprecedented funding. And as I shared yesterday in the update I gave on the budget, the $5,000 one-time retention bonus that is included in this budget, uh, uh, as we're beginning the labor negotiations this week, we will start with an assumption that that $5,000 will be in the new base uh, and bring a 2023 agreement to council uh, that we'll want to do to assure we have the revenue uh, ongoing to support that. Um, I'll also just note we continue the work of the future policing task force to continue to uh, address and look to how that will evolve in the future. Council member Dave Rollo commented that he was glad to see the mayor made changes to the police budgets. I'm very pleased and supportive of uh, the proposal by the uh, mayor to incorporate uh, $5,000 into uh, base salaries for police officers. And it remains to be seen what will be proposed in the negotiations coming forward, but uh, committing $5,000 in base salary is very helpful um, to moving us into a position of competitiveness with peer cities. Um, That said, just to be clear, what we've, uh, many of us have said, 
over the past weeks is that to be truly competitive with other peer cities, and in this sense, uh, Kalia certified cities, uh, it will require more. It will require 10, 10 to $12,000. Um, but that's a trajectory that we can be on. And I see 5,000, as we've stated in our resolution, as a, as a good start. President of the council, Jim Sims, said he appreciated that the local city government worked together on the budget, saying that, quote, teamwork makes the dream work. What I mean by that is when we all work together, when we're collegial, when we are respectful and when we have meaningful dialogue, then I think we can move forward um, on making decisions um, as we move along. Uh, This budget is not perfect. I think uh, my colleagues, or I'll just speak for myself, I don't think the budget is perfect. But I do know that the budget has significantly improved over the last uh, weeks of discussion with administration, which I do appreciate. This council had a resolution, as I stated earlier, uh, to add $5,000 to the base pay of our um, um, sworn officers. And instead, we got a $5,000 bonus over five quarters. Now, that to me is moving toward middle ground, um, working in order to reach a consensus. And I'm encouraged with the regard from the administration saying that as we move forward with negotiations, um, they will begin with the base salary that uh, we think is a good beginning um, and where it should start. I will also say that, again, this budget isn't perfect. Uh, There were calls for a cabinet-level department head or cabinet-level climate action uh, position in order to monitor. Uh, We did not get that uh, this year, but what we did get was another staff person to work with our um, climate action person in ESD, and that increases the capacity of that position Uh, to hopefully improve and make further strides um, in the area of climate action um, and mitigation. Again, it's not perfect. Uh, I think it's greatly important. It has been improved over the last several weeks, and I think uh, many of us, um, our input in there was critical in getting to this point. Councilmember Isabel Piedmont-Smith commented on the collaboration between the council, the mayor, the treasurer, and department heads. The budget process uh, was grueling this year, um, but I appreciate uh, that uh, my colleagues on the city council, as well as the mayor, have had more communication this year um, than in the past, and I believe the council has more had a greater input into this budget than at any other time in my service on the city council. And I think that is excellent. And we uh, should continue to have this sort of vigorous dialogue. She also said that she was disappointed that the position for a climate action director was not filled, saying that there is a level of exigence with the climate crisis and Bloomington is already behind schedule on implementing ways to mitigate climate change and the effect it will have on the town. As uh, Council President Sims said, um, uh, some colleagues and I were um, quite uh, insistent that we have a high-level, director-level position on climate action 
And um, that, in my in my view, that is um, not only because of the existential urgency of the topic, but also in reviewing the progress that has been made and comparing that with our adopted plans, for example, the Sustainability Action Plan, we are behind at fulfilling our plans. And so uh, it was very clear to me that we needed not only more um, staff hours, but somebody at a high level to um, make sure that we fulfill the plans that we, with much public input, had committed to. Um, so I am a bit disappointed that we didn't get that high-level position. Uh, we did get more staff hours, so so that's that's very good, and uh, I will look forward to um, seeing a revision to the salary ordinance so that we can fund that position uh, starting as soon as possible. Councilmember Kate Rosenberger shared her remarks on the budget. She highlighted the things that were not included in the budget that she would like to see in the future. I think it's important that we make significant progress on our phase one goals of the city's climate action plan. And I know we're, we're working on that in many different ways. I mean, one now is hiring um, another employee in the office who works on sustainability. And I think that, that is great. And some of those goals that we need to start working on uh, were listed out in one of our memos to expand solar beyond residential homes. And I mean, that would, that's, that's even more so specifically like beyond single family homes, right? But we want to look at expanding solar to multifamily homes, how we can get apartment buildings and condos, start getting to take advantage of programs, you know, to subsidize solar and get that going. Commercial and industrial solar as well, uh, some pilot programs for that conducting a food security assessment and developing strategies to decrease food insecurity in the areas of our community that need it the most. I think we're doing one corridor study as the transportation plan calls for. Uh, it would be good to do the other major thoroughfares as well. These are just some things um, that did not get into the budget, but I think are very, very important here. Councilmember Steve Voland said that the council was pushed to negotiate the budget. He said he has encouraged the mayor made changes and that the council members stood up for their budget concerns. The next council meeting will be held on November 3rd. Stay tuned to hear more about the budget deliberations from Councilmember Matt Flaherty. In today's feature report, WFHB correspondents Cade Young and Noelle Herhusky Schneider spoke with the City Council member Matt Flaherty in the aftermath of the Council's passage of the 2022 City Budget during last night's meeting. We turn to Cade Young and Noelle Herhusky Schneider for that interview. So first off, the city council passed the proposed 2022 budget last night. So how are you feeling overall now that you you guys have have passed that budget? Uh, Good. I'm very glad that it passed. And I'm glad that it passed with full support of the council in the end. You know, a couple of weeks ago, it wasn't looking like that would be the outcome. So I'm pleased that we were able to have some, some more conversations and collaboration with the mayor and his team to get to a point where 
I don't think anybody, you know, <laughs> thought the final budget reflected exactly what they wanted, of course, but that's usually a good sign of, of compromise and folks finding uh, common ground. So I think we ended up in a, overall a good place and addressed mm-hmm. some, some structural barriers and shortcomings we'd experienced in the past. So at the last budget meeting, you were like super adamant that the mayor needed to be held accountable for funding the climate action plan. And did he end up funding the climate action director position? Uh, so not a director level position, um, was not in last, last night's budget, but there was additional staff capacity. So yeah, let me clarify a little bit. I do see it as the council's responsibility to ensure that the city budget and our system priorities align with adopted plans. So, you know, these are our visioning documents for the community. They're developed very democratically, uh, comprehensive plan, transportation plan, climate action plan. So we asked a lot of questions about the budget, and if it seems like we're not on track, you know, I do see it as the council's role to help hold us accountable to the goals and vision that we've set for ourselves as a community and as a city. So it wasn't even necessarily about holding the mayor accountable per se. It's about holding the city accountable. Uh, and I see that as the role of the fiscal, fiscal body of the city, which is what the council is, in addition to being the legislative body, of course. And more specifically to the climate action plan, I think the, the most salient thing that emerged to me from the budget hearing, staff conversations, and uh, written questions and answers is that we really just don't have the capacity, staff capacity, to implement the plan in the eight-year implementation time frame called for. It's a very detailed plan. Us meeting our climate goals it, you know, relies on us trying to fully implement the plan within the specified time frame. So it's important that we really are making sure we have the, the adequate funding and capacity and political will to do so. The reason I wanted a director-level position in particular, and actually a majority of council members share that view, is because there's more to climate action than just the plan itself, of course. A lot of decisions we make in the context of the built environment, the transportation policies, development policies, have potentially significant climate change-related impacts, as well as opportunity costs that come with uh, you know, large capital expenditures. So from looking at what other cities do, especially cities that are leading on climate change, and knowing some of those structural barriers to incorporating that framework into decision-making, I think a majority of us in the council see it as optimal for there to be a cabinet-level climate director position, uh, maybe a director of climate initiatives or climate policy, and for that uh, small department or group of people working on climate policy to be housed in the office of the mayor. Again, based on what a lot of leading cities are doing, um, for instance, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Sacramento, others that are a little more, a little farther down the line in their planning and implementation processes than we are. So we didn't get that, obviously, in the budget, but I think there's some meaningful steps forward with the second staff person uh, dedicated to helping to implement the plan at a programmatic level to help uh, our excellent assistant director of sustainability, uh, Lauren Clemens. Um, and as I tried to clarify last night, that kind of policy view on, on the structures needed for to maximize our success in that space, it's not about... Uh, it's not meant to be a criticism of the job anyone's doing. It's, it's meant to be, like I said, I guess, maximize our possibilities for success across all fronts. I wanted to, to ask you, Matt, you originally threatened to vote against the budget, as I understand it. I was just curious, what drove you to ultimately vote to pass the budget? What was in there that was like, okay, this is the, the call I, I decided to make? Uh, you know, it's a, it's a challenging prospect. We're, we're balancing a lot of factors and the tools that the council has are limited. We can't, you know, move money around based on, on, on our priorities. We can't originate appropriations. 
uh, all we can do is cut things or vote no on the budget as a whole. I think things have to be in a pretty bad place for council members to be willing to vote no on the budget as a whole. Uh, but there were enough issues, meaningful enough to enough council members, that we were actually seriously facing that prospect. And as bad as that is, I do think that option needs to remain something that is on the table for the council to utilize and discuss so that we actually do have the negotiating power to advocate for things that are within our scope as a fiscal oversight body. Uh, I, my, my feeling last year, and I voted no on the civil city budget last year, as a matter of fact, uh, but I was the only one. And my view then and now, and going forward, is that we need to have a meaningful role in working to develop uh, priorities, making sure we're following up on commitments we've made, that sort of thing. And I just didn't feel like we were there yet with respect to the mayor's work with the council. So it was a tough decision. Of course, you know, like I said, the final budget didn't reflect the narrow set of priorities that we had sort of limited ourselves to after extensive conversation. We didn't even quite get there, but I felt like it was meaningful enough progress and collaboration from the mayor that on balance it was, it was the right choice. And we'll see how things go with some of the changes that, that were included, some of the other changes with respect to climate planning uh, that the mayor and his team had brought forth in the last couple of weeks. Um, and we'll monitor that as we go forward next year and, and continue to reassess, reevaluate, and critically, you know, think about, about those needs, that funding, that capacity as we, as we look forward next year. I see. Noel, do you have anything else? Or? Um, not really. For I would, yeah, I would love to interview you again, maybe sometime when you have more time and just talk about blue zones and sustainability and all the bike paths and all that's going on. Yeah, that, w- that would be great. We would love to chat with you uh, some other time, but we want to give you the last word here, Matt. Um, is there anything else that you would like to add to our WFHB listeners, you know, be- before we part ways? Uh, I don't think so, except for to encourage folks to engage in the process. You know, if, if they um, haven't attended council meetings before, please do. Please join me at a constituent meeting. I host them the uh, third Mondays of every month from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. Uh, via Zoom currently. And the details for that are on the council's calendar on the council webpage. But yeah, just encourage folks to stay involved in their government and uh, help shape policy. Well, Matt Flaherty, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Up next, WFHB correspondent Juliana Daly, accompanied by Noel Hahusky Schneider, takes you to the Amy Weingartner Brannigan Peninsula Preserve, one of the Sycamore Land Trust preserves near Lake Monroe. That's coming up in your new recurring segment, Hiking with Julie. hiking a one-mile hike on the Whitehead Trail, and I have a person with me today. Uh, it is Noelle Herhusky Schneider, and she is the Assistant News Director. And so she will be joining us, and hopefully she'll say something every once in a while. I'll get back with you as soon as we get started. Oh, it's tongue sticking out. Oh my goodness. Well, we just got started on the trail and guess what we're looking at? Uh, Kind of a medium-sized black snake and he knows we're here and he's very, very healthy and he's leaving (laughs) because I think we scared him. The beginning of the trail is um, just leafy and uh, packed with dirt and um, kind of winds around a lot of roots and 
we're kind of walking uh, along. Um, I guess we're supposed to go to the trailhead, so I don't think we're there yet, but evidently we're going to connect up to it. This may actually be the trail, but we're not sure yet. We have now reached the trailhead, and it's graveled. So we're going to start going along here and see what we see, and I'll come back to you periodically. All right, we are off. Let's see what we can find. We're passing a lot of beech trees right now, really big ones, and very tall, very thick trunks. Lots of ravines right now, and it looks like this might have been logged at some point down in history. Walking through lots of leaves, so you'll hear the crunching of leaves as we're walking. Well, the trail is continually going downhill, so that means coming back, we're gonna be going uphill, but right now we are going downhill, and we can see the lake. So it is starting to come into view through the trees. So we'll just keep going probably until we get to the lake. Well, Noel and I are having a debate, so we have not figured out the answer. But anyway, if you have walked on this trail, you can chime in and let us know. We keep seeing um, small um, trees uh, underneath the, the big trees. And we, I think they're hickory nut, baby hickory nut trees. And Noel thinks they're pawpaw trees. So I just used an app called Seek. It's completely free and it helps you identify things while you're outdoors or indoors. It can identify humans and things too. Um, <laughs> but I just used it and you, you just take a picture of it. And sometimes it's not completely accurate. So it could just be, since we are, since they're very similar, we could just be getting a, like a false positive. But um, this app does say this is a common pawpaw based off of wow. what people Wow, if people like pawpaws, Someday this tree is going to be big enough to have some on it. It's so. a little too young right now to yeah. produce fruit. If you don't know what a pawpaw is, it's a little green fruit. And I, I personally think it tastes like a mix between a pear, a cantaloupe, and a banana. And they're, they're quite delicious. Sounds interesting. I've never eaten one, but that sounds really interesting. Okay, now we're going uphill. So they're going to make us go uphill again before we can go back downhill to the lake. We are stopping at the top of this hill because somebody very nicely put a bench down here for us to sit on. So we're going to take a little break because that's quite a little climb there. I'm, not, I'm kind of out of breath. We are now heading down a long hill. Not super steep, but it's kind of steep. So we're going down it. We are standing on a cliff, and when I say that, I'm not exaggerating and it completely drops off into the lake and boy what a beautiful view well we've come up to the top of another hill down at the bottom is a huge rock quarry maybe a rock quarry but it's uh, I'm pretty sure people have taken blocks of stone out of here but there's a little chipmunk down there running around and it's quite spectacular to look at I'm at the top of the hill, and there is a huge, huge red oak tree in front of me, and it is very, very big. And it stands alone 
so you definitely will see it if you take this hike. We are going back down again. We are looking at Chinese bush clover. If you don't know what that is, it's very fern-like, but um, not quite. <laughs> but there's a lot of it. We're walking through it. And we have arrived at the lake. And the wind is blowing. It's quite nice out here right now. We have just arrived onto the beach. I'm going to hold the tape recorder down so you can hear the water lapping. Isn't that a beautiful sound? You know, I think I'm going to sit down for here for a second and take my shoes off and put my feet in the water. So hang on. to see you out here in the trails. He does a lot of environmental things over in Brown County. So yeah. anyway, we just met him on the trail and... Good place to meet. It's a good place to meet. Yeah, nice good day. Place. And uh, we'll bring our grandkids here next week. Same trail? Yeah, because okay. they're into the crinoids and <laughs> We exploring. were just talking about said, those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, great place for looking out over the water and appreciating what we have. And that's kind of a big plastic thing. Well, as you can hear, I am completely and totally out of breath. So we just finished the hike and uh, it's very strenuous. Even though it's a mile long, it's a mile there and a mile back. So that's two miles. <laughs> but anyway, it's kind of like a, a up and down, undulating up and down. You go uphill and then you go downhill and uphill. But it does end at the lake and I have to admit it is a beautiful hike. But uh, Bring a, bring a hiking pole, you'll need it. Thanks for joining me today.